Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hadley and welcome once again to the Viewfinder Podcast. The 10th annual edition of the Louisiana Film Prize competition showcased a strong class of the Pelican State's best filmmakers and actors in 20 memorable short films produced by local and regional artists working on both sides of the camera. Those films, which screened both virtually and in person at several indoor and outdoor venues in Shreveport from September the 30th to October the 2nd, are the main focus of this special two-part edition of the Viewfinder podcast. Starting this week and concluding next week, you'll hear my conversations with the remarkable talents behind some of this year's top 20 films. On this show, you'll hear from Mark Bonner, actor and director of this year's $25,000 grand prize winning thriller, Shreveport Sun, director Melissa Goslin and actor Finnegan Collins of the hilarious comedy, Momento, and actor and writer J.M. McSharma of the poignant motherhood drama, Nana Kidum. Shreveport's son, Momento, and Nana Kidum were among the film prize's top five finalists for the competition's grand prize, and each of those films will soon be seen nationally on cable network Shorts HD. In addition, all three films were honored with the film prize's prestigious Founders Circle Grant, which awards its recipients $3,000 to fund production of films for the 2022 Film Prize. First, Mark Bonner joins me to talk about his Film Prize-winning drama, Shreveport Sun, in which he stars as a seemingly reformed ex-con whose reunion with a man from his criminal past jeopardizes not just his aims for a better future, but also his life. Mark won both the Film Prize's awards for Best Actor and Director for Shreveport Sun, a project that meant more to the Shreveport native than simply just another creative effort. Mark, congratulations on Shreveport Sun winning the Louisiana Film Prize this year. It was great, and your performance was superb. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, thank you. Tell me about what your film is about and what story it tells. Um, Shreveport Sun is about a coming-of-age story of old high school friends and childhood friends reuniting for the first time after five years. And basically, um, what I was trying to tell with the story is like the bond that you can have with someone, you can basically unfold it back from um, back then as they when they were kids and kind of that same bond that they had even as adults. And the bond could be even stronger as adults. So much so as in this film that we see it all ties back to the ending. And this narrative that we see in Shreveport Sun basically has your character having his job opportunities be denied because of his criminal past. And we see in the end how that all ties back to him, how it all just jeopardizes everything. Yes, absolutely. And that's um that's one of the that's multiple things throughout the story, but that's one of the things that a lot of people go through it may not have um especially with the system and things like that it, it can be a lot of roadblocks and a lot of things for people going through that even if they're um innocent of what they've been accused for it's the same battle tell me more about the character you play in this film um the character i play uh jamar he is he basically he had his um head on straight he was a good kid he was just around Pretty much the wrong crowd and he ends up um 
get into situations because he never he just wanted to go to college with his um best friend who was Keisha uh it's played by Faith Monique in the movie and they basically that was their plan to go to college together do everything together and maybe eventually um leads to other things but that was cut short because he was ended up being in a situation with guys um that didn't really have his best intent what inspired you to make this film and were there any real life and or cinematic inspirations that prompted you to create both its plot and characters including the one you play in Shreveport's song um the main motivation for creating this is um just like living in Shreveport in itself. Um, I've saw so much stuff like this and especially recently, it was so many, um, so much violence going on this past summer. And it just kind of sparked me to create something to kind of show these stories. And I would see often on the comments of all these stories of people not just talking very negative about the person or the victims that this happened to. And I feel like all of them wasn't, bad guys all of them wasn't thugs and all that stuff they just kind of got caught up into the wrong situation i wanted to open people's eyes to that that it can happen to pretty much anybody and for us jamar he's a representation of that was he based on anyone you knew or anyone in real life that we may have heard about um no he's actually um certain parts of jamar is based off of myself and other parts is basically about like people who've just been basically forgotten, like people who may have died and or maybe did all kind of um, stuff and they just forgotten. It's kind of his voices like showing their stories. How did you prepare for playing this role in the film? Um, I actually, um, believe it or not, I, I was so um, busy doing the uh, preparing for the directing and um, everything else. I actually didn't prepare much for the role of Jamar. I kind of just played it uh, basically in its essence, um, kind of built that anger or emotions that I had in my head in certain situations in the scene. Um, but other than that, I didn't really prepare much for him. I just kind of went with it. It was clearly the best performance I've seen of all the films that were in this year's film prize. As I said, you were magnificent in this film. Thank you, thank you. In addition to producing, writing, and directing the film, you also starred in, in the lead character of Jamar. What did you do to prepare for taking on that side of the process and how were you able to balance your on-camera duties with those you undertook behind the scenes? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I kind of basically, um, did pretty much one at a time, pretty much. I, um, like when I tried to, when I had a scene that was intense or with the other um, characters, I tried to tell them beforehand the night before, it says, hey, this scene is gonna go this way. Um, we're gonna do it into this situation. And when I'm acting with you, um, try to react in this way. Um, then as far as that, it was the scene that I actually had to write, rewrite off the, um, on the spot basically, because it was a, we were supposed to have an office for the outside scene uh, with Jamar's boss and ended up being, we couldn't get the office and had to instantly basically rewrite it for it to be outside of a, of a closed salon actually. 
How did you get yourself and Shreveport's son involved with the Louisiana Film Prize? And when did you find out that the movie would be in the top 20? Um, I got involved. It was um, it was the um, probably the main um, goal. Um, as soon as I got done writing it, I said, I, I got to enter this into this year's Louisiana Film Prize that I felt it would it would only be right. And especially in the city, I felt I wanted it to be shown, uh, especially in Shreveport. And I didn't know until I believe that was early August, about August 12th. And my name was called uh, Third. And you know, it was a shock, and I was pretty spoked about it. And how did you prepare for the whole experience of being part of the film prize itself? Um, once I was, because um, I've, I've owned businesses before, and I kind of um, approached it in that manner. I uh, created t-shirts, I created, helped create this poster, um, kind of just to put it out there for everybody to go and see it. Um, and that's kind of the other aspect of filmmaking. Uh, I don't talk about it, so the people to see, the most people to see your film, you have to you know, put in network as well, um, making sure everybody knows where they can see it and how they can see it. You use social media, that kind of thing, to help promote the film and get more people aware of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I believe Instagram is probably one of the best ways to promote a pretty much promote anything. Instagram, Facebook, uh, those are the two main ones. Yeah. What was the casting process like for the film? And given that COVID wreaked considerable havoc on filmmakers and actors alike, and given that of course strict safety protocols had to be adhered to during production, what did you do to make sure that filming was both safe and also efficient um so when i did that um i basically people had started i first submitted on the la film prize um, website and a few people um auditioned for it then then i put it on other websites and other people started auditioning and then eventually i put it on different websites and even more people started auditioning and um I said uh, the process was, I said, you could either have kind of like the same one protocol for um, LA Film Prize attended in person. It was either a negative COVID test or a vaccine card, something like that. Or, and then of course on set, it was a you know, gloves, um, six feet distance and all the proper protocols. When the film ultimately did screen at this year's Film Prize, what was the reaction to it? Oh, we, uh, it was amazing. We uh, got a whole lot of love. It was, uh, we had a, like a little booth um, in the corner and it was, you know, several people came up to us saying they loved the film so much and uh, it was so amazing. And a lot of people said they, even some people um, to remind them of like real life. And that's kind of what I wanted to make something that so, felt so real, yeah. uh, like this story. What audiences are you hoping to attract with Shreveport Sun and who do you think would like to see it? Originally, I thought, um, it's, it's crazy. Um, I originally thought um, maybe mostly people, um, like maybe me and things like that would mostly just want to watch it. But lots of people from all different age ranges, uh, races, genders, everybody was saying they loved it and that. It took me by surprise that it was kind of like a story for everybody. And, and that's what I love to see. How did you identify with the film? 
Um, I identified with it by, because I like, I know so many people like uh, Jamar and like Keisha and like the characters and it's a little bit of part of me inside of the story and it's kind of what made me connect to it. Overall, what have you taken away from the experiences of making the film and having it be among the top 20 and ultimately in the top five shorts in this year's film prize competition? It's just been, uh, I'm just so grateful for it. Um, like I, I just, um, I didn't really, I just wanted to be accepted. I never knew it was gonna be, um, get so many accolades and, and rise to where it did. I'm just very, just real grateful for it. Ultimately, what do you hope audiences take away from seeing Shreveport's song? I think uh, hopefully that, especially the people that's kind of grew up as like I did, I hope that they'll make them see from um, see from a perspective if they're going down the same road as Jamar, hey, don't be around these kind of people or if they're in the road of um, Craig, try to turn your life around because you can get into heaps of trouble. And for the other people that's, um, like all the other people that's really loving this film, Hopefully it shows them another side for like as far as Keisha's character where she has this talent that she of writing, but she never really pursued it. And she preserved to do a entrepreneurship um, to also pursue your dreams and try to do it because you never know what can happen or who can walk into your life to try to change your life. And that could be a message in itself. And Craig is the character that Jamar meets toward the end of the film, that character from his past. Um, yes, Craig is um, Craig is basically a, uh, in the group of his um, high school friends because they all went to the same uh, high school. We see him during that scene where Jamar is left behind in the car where while the others are trying to rob the um, convenience store. Who is Craig played by? Um, Craig is played by Kirk J. Bush. He's an amazing um, actor from New Orleans. Yeah, he did a great job in it too. Finally, what projects are you working on now and what's the status on those? Currently, right now, I'm actually writing a, um, a part two. Um, I'm not sure when it will be released. Um, and I have some other uh, features and I'm working. So we can ultimately see a continuation of the story that you introduced in Shreveport's Son at some point. Yes, sir, it's a possibility. And as for Shreveport's Son itself, now that it's played at the Louisiana Film Prize, are there any plans for it to be at any other festivals? And are there any plans for wider distribution for the film? I believe one of the um, the prizes for um, for winning top five, I think it gets uh, automatic distribution from Source HD. And um, as far as that, we're shopping it with um, other film festivals as well. And hopefully we can get into a, a lot of those. Yeah. Well, keep us posted, Mark. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about Shreveport Sun on the podcast. And congratulations again on the film being not just the top winner of the Louisiana Film Prize, but your award for best actor there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And I wish you all the very best with not just Shreveport Sun, but also all your other projects in the future. Congratulations again. Thank you, sir. Definitely. Um, really appreciated this uh, interview. It was really cool speaking with you. And with you as well, Mark. Thank you. In director Melissa Goslin's comedy suspense hybrid Momento, a perpetually busy mom named Sarah, played by Jamie Kynell, sees her meticulously prepared schedule of parental and personal responsibilities smeared beyond recognition by a spilled cup of coffee that her kids knock over in their rush to get to school. 
frantically trying to meet her obligations while also dealing with the unexpected appearance of her mother-in-law's best friend. Sarah races against time and her rapidly fading memory on a day when she can't afford to be a moment too late. For Goslin and her real-life son, Momento co-star and budding filmmaker Finnegan Collins, who plays Sarah's son Conrad in the film, and whose stop-motion Lego comedy Night of the Living Chest Hair won the grand prize in the middle school category at the Louisiana Film Prize's student filmmaking competition known as Film Prize Junior earlier this year, Momento was the perfect opportunity for them both to work together on a project that was a true labor of love for everyone involved in it. Melissa and Finnegan recently talked to me about that partnership and more in this interview. All right, Melissa Goslin, the director and writer of Memento, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your film and congratulations on his success being part of the top five of this year's Louisiana Film Prize. Thank you, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Now, how did you come up with the idea for Memento and how did your real life experiences as a mom yourself inspire the characters and story we see in this film? Well, so the idea really had come from um, Elizabeth Beauvais, my co-writer, and I had, um, we had met as writers, but we were also moms living in Shreveport. We were part of an online writing group and realized we geographically were, you know, right next door to each other. So we had been talking about writing for a long time and wanting to work on a project together. Um, and then Memento, the title itself kind of came from a joke one day about how our the kids' schedules were so much and we could never remember anything. And so the old Chris Nolan film, Memento, where he can make no new memories and he tattoos things over his body. And I made the joke that I felt like I needed to tattoo the kids' schedules, like, you know, onto my arms and my legs, like soccer Wednesday, you know, art club here. Um, and we joked, it was like, it's like Memento, but being a mom, so Momento. And so we had kind of a running joke about Momento. Um, that wound up turning into the film. And then the real life experiences as a mom, I really think, um, you know, if, if you've seen the film, there's several women that are sitting at a lunch table. And I feel like each one of those is sort of me or Elizabeth or Jamie, who also uh, is our lead actress on any given day, we're sort of falling into one of those roles in some, some area of that. So it was really, it was really fun. And also a few things in the film were kind of ripped from real life. So it was a lot of fun to do that. Have you ever had coffee accidentally spilled on your day planner? Daily. Like we actually, <laughs> we actually have a running text thread between myself, Elizabeth, Jamie, and our uh, dear friend, Amy, who's a producer on ours, Amy Bokenfort, where we, every time we spill coffee, we take a picture and send it like on this text thread. <laughs> So much coffee has been spilled. <laughs> you co-wrote the film with fellow mom Elizabeth Beauvais, who prompted you to create it after she sent you a very funny found footage style video where she played a mom who seemingly lost track of her responsibilities and her mind while being stuck in a waiting room for almost a year. Describe how that helped to motivate you both to further develop that concept in what eventually turned into Memento. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things about that was it sort of took us off the page into film, into a visual medium when we started sending these videos back and forth. 
Um, and Elizabeth had sent me one that was just, you know, I don't think I've eaten in four days. Like I'm here in this waiting room and we, we would always talk about this hurry up and wait, you know, that you're like in this huge hurry to get like the kid somewhere. And then you've got this 45 minute space where you're just kind of waiting for them to come back out. You know, and then you're coming back and not always knowing where you are, whatever. So, um, I really think, yeah, that, that, that was just fun because we never anticipated anyone seeing those videos so we could be as bizarre and we were very bizarre if you've seen some of them like we were um you know in closets and and garages like sending these little found footage videos back and forth it was such a huge outlet as well um before and during especially the pandemic this idea of you know the days stretching on forever um and then also this idea that everyone tells you as a mom you know enjoy it while you can they grow up so fast and it's true, but it's also the days are so long. The years are short, but the days are really long. And so um, I think we were able to capture that. And I think we were able to see that we could capture that in a visual medium in a way that you really just, it falls flat on the page. So I think that was really um, the impetus for us going, okay, let's, you know, let's shift to film. <laughs> now tell me about the characters in Memento. Who plays them? Are they based on moms and or motherly figures you've met in real life? And how do they ultimately connect to each other in this film? Yes, so so Sarah, who is the main character, is played by Jamie Bermore Carnell, and she is a dear friend of mine and has been a friend of mine since elementary school. So we were actually kids together, and then um, you know grew up together pretty much went our separate ways and both found ourselves back in our hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, and so Jamie had worked in the industry. She was a casting director. She's worked in film for a while. So she. She was really our natural choice for Sarah. Um, and honestly, I think when Elizabeth and I were writing it, we kind of had Jamie in the back of our mind a lot of times with this. Um, and Jamie is this amazing, in real life, she's this amazing acting teacher. Um, she teaches acting and she's all about the kids, but had sort of put her career aside, like her ambition and what she wanted to do to the side while she was raising her kids, just like Elizabeth and I had both done. And so... Um, and she's this great character in and of herself. You know, we joke that she drives her hair out the window on her way to school every morning, you know, and <laughs> all these little things of uh, our kids all work at Stage Center Theater Group together. They were part of an acting troupe together, which is kind of what reconnected us. So a lot of those stories, so we're really kind of written for Jamie, honestly. Um, and we had to kind of arm wrestle her to get her to play it, to get her back in the game to play it, which we're so glad she did. Um, then the other moms, we had Hardette Harris plays the, the role of Camille. And she's amazing because she is a local chef and she's kind of a celebrity in her own right, but had never acted before. So we pulled her. Um, Liesl Cruz plays Anne. She, um, I met her. She had played my kid's stage mom twice. She'd been their stage mother. <laughs> so and we pulled her on to film for that. Um, and she's sort of the more uptight, you know, always nervous kind of mom that's in there. And then Lorraine Dianchi uh, is actually lives in Nashville now. And we found her and she was able to come in. Um, and then also Amber John Landrum played Josie, who is that sort of universe mom, who's always like the universe is asking you, you know, or telling you to slow down. I think it's her big line in there. We, we really just kind of put together this group of women. We went through a lot of Zoom calls, getting people to fit together and just found this group that I feel like really worked well together. 
um, really supported each other, which is women. I think that's so important to support each other and to not be competitive. There was just no competition or no, like everyone was just this great, um, they had this great dynamic that I really hope comes across in the film. It certainly did come across very impressively in the film. And I really enjoyed all of their performances, including the one that um, your son had in the film, Finnegan Collins. And he not only starred in the film, but also he had a film of his own that competed in and won the Film Prize Junior event this year. Tell us about that. It did. It did. So, um, and he's actually here because he's on fall break. So Finnegan, do you want to tell them about your film a little bit or about what it was like to win Film Prize Junior? Sure, it was, uh, it was really crazy, um, <laughs> especially because it was the, the first year they- uh, For middle school. Uh, they admitted middle school into the Film Prize uh, Junior category, which was really awesome. Uh, it was just crazy to think that, you know, I made a movie in my room and- <laughs> So it's it stop motion recognized. animation, yeah. So right. for people yeah, that haven't seen it, Night of the Living Just Here, and it was a stop motion animation, which is not my wheelhouse at all. So it was not, it was a huge learning curve for me just to support him in stop motion animation. But he wrote the script and then built the sets with the help of his little sister. And then he had some of his friends who actually are some of the kids of the people that worked on Memento with us who voiced it over. So he went locally to Fairfield Studios and they were very gracious and let him direct everyone to do the voiceover. So, and then the, the fun thing about that is, you know, really Memento is down to this footage and the story and all of that, but the the seed and the impetus for actually registering and saying, okay, we're going to do this came from Finnegan. When I told him, well, they opened up middle school. You love stop motion animation. You're always making these stories and films. You should, um, you should really do this. You've always wanted to make a film. And what did you say to me? It was just kind of like, well, mom, have it, you wanted to make a film too? <laughs> I mean, have a film too. Yeah, so he called me out. I taught screenwriting a million years ago, and then I kind of went into the corporate world. So I was, you know, directing commercials and um, directing more like on set, doing things like um, commercials and those horrible training videos that no one wants to watch. You know, I was responsible for those. So I needed to, I guess this was kind of penance for making people watch all those to yeah. make people laugh. <laughs> well, both so, films were great. And um, Finnegan, yeah, you did a you. tremendous job with the stop motion animation. It reminded me of all the years that I spent playing with Legos as a kid and building all of these, you know, buildings and sets. And, you know, I actually, a long time ago, I did like, Back in the '90s, when I was like when I was like 16, I uh, tried doing like one of those stop motion animation films, and I did all the voices. But um, it was nothing like what you did. I was very impressed by it, and I think if you keep at it, then you've got a great future in filmmaking. And I was very impressed. Congratulations! Thank you. And you did a great job in Memento too. Thank you so much. He did. Yeah, he both did. Yeah. I have to say directing it's um, your kids are always, it's a mom fact too. Your kids are always much better for other people than they are for you. So I've seen them, they worked with other directors, but it was very, uh, that was honestly the most stressful few minutes of my life was like directing them. Like, cause they would say, well, can you hold this? Can you do this? I'm like, I'm not mom right now. I'm directing you. I'm not, I'm your director. I'm not your mom. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, your film brilliantly mixes comedy with suspense, coming together what you've called double indemnity meets steel magnolias. 
Talk about the ways that you and Elizabeth combined and balanced the film's humor with its dramatic sides and how both elements manifest themselves in the characters we see in this film. Well, first of all, thank you so much. That's a huge compliment to say that we actually pulled that off, mixing the comedy and the suspense. Certainly did. <laughs> I did. You think we did that? Um, I mean, it was very intentional. And I think, you know, we had many conversations about the comedy aspects of it and how these things are so ridiculous. But um, the thing like when we, we have a joke in there about, you know, what could possibly go wrong and the kids are sort of left out in the rain, you know, and there's a wolf howling. But it really is that there's a lot at stake as a mom because they are, you know, they're children, they're little lives that are looking up at you and looking to you for these things. So it might seem like you're just forgetting a snack for snack day or something, but these things within the realm of motherhood just take on this weight of, you know, like you are, you do kind of feel sometimes like you're driving up to school with a kidney on, you know, dry ice, like when really you just <laughs> bringing, you know, apple slices or something. So we really tried to balance that out because, and get that feeling that um, it is humorous. Sometimes you have to stop and say, you know, these things really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. However, they really feel like they do. They really feel like they do because we love our kids so much you know, um, we really want to do right. We want to be there for them. We want to do all these things. Um, and so that really comes out, I think, in the character of Sarah, especially. And then when all the characters are together, they just, you know, they're together to talk about a fundraiser. And this happens all the time. They talk about the fundraiser in two seconds at the end of the thing, but they're really just all trying to share their mom's shame and their trauma and kind of get it all out, you know? Like these ridiculous things happened and I know they're ridiculous and silly and they're kind of funny, but they're also like heartbreaking and I'm trying my best and I'm just failing. Like um, at the one part at the end where, um, the little girl says that the middle child in the back, who's also actually played by my daughter, Chloe Collins, she says, um, you know, you didn't bring a t-shirt for tie-dye day. And she pulled out this rag that she had to tie-dye. That's, that's a real life thing. Her, I had forgotten all of the things I'd fed her. I've kept her sheltered, you know, gotten her here and there, but I forgot to send a t-shirt for tie-dye day and I will never live it down. <laughs> Take me through the production process for Memento. How did you and your team manage to get everything situated given the fact that you were working within the COVID-19 safety guidelines, social distancing, all that? And what did you all do to ensure that making this film went smoothly while also keeping a safe atmosphere on set? Yeah, absolutely. So um, masks, this was sort of before there was that much um, that we were really able to test regularly, but we did have everyone masked up. Um, the only people they had masks, but then the actors just took their masks off before, right before the scenes and were able to do that. So we kept it to as minimal of a crew as we could, kind of working together, um, shooting at the different locations. We had lots of locations. Um, and then we're just really mindful of any symptoms. Like we had lots of conversations with people and said, you know, our schedule was tight. We shot it over three days, but we definitely wanted to prioritize health of everyone over anything. So if anyone had a problem, we wanted to just make sure. We actually had some people that were coming up to be extras that were doing things that um, were sick on the day. So we actually did have to shift some people around. We had a couple of people that were coming into crew for us um, who weren't feeling well. 
And so, you know, they were fever. So we had everybody a couple of days ahead of time, making sure everyone was healthy and um, did the best we could to keep it small, just to keep it down to essential people and essential personnel. So, yeah, so it was definitely a huge concern. You know, we had our signs up everywhere and we were masked and did everything we could to keep everybody safe. And fortunately, we didn't have any spread. We didn't have any COVID positive before or like right after set. So we were really proud of that. Great, great. And this was shot around early 2021? So it was shot in April. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was shot in April. And so um, there was testing, but it wasn't now where it's great that they have so many like reliable tests. So if we were to do this again, for sure, we would involve some sort of testing element in that. And then I just want to give a shout out as well. We were just at Louisiana Film Prize and they did a really great job. Um, Gregory Kallenberg, who runs uh, the Film Prize, did a great job of requiring, it was really some bold leadership um, that he required everyone to have proof of vaccination or to have a negative test and we were able to get bands. And so it just made for a really great environment because we could watch the films, we could interact with people in what we knew was a safe environment. And we really appreciated that. Yeah, Gregory, Heidi Kallenberg and Chris Lyon, all everybody involved with the Louisiana Film Prize did such an amazing job putting it all together this year. They really did. And especially balancing an in-person and a hybrid element I was just super impressed with everything that they did and how much they work and that they're still available and nice. You know, by the time that comes around, I would be insufferable if I was doing all if I were doing all of that in the middle of it. So, yeah, kudos to them for following through with that. Um, they also during the filming process, put out guidelines for their filmmakers. So it was great to have that guidance to follow. They had signs for us to put on set. They had all of the latest stuff. They really stayed on top of the COVID guidelines to make sure that we were running safe sets. And we really appreciated that. Considering that you had such a large cast, seeing all that come together so effectively and so efficiently, and considering that everything was safe and everybody was safe after the filming stopped. I mean, that was just, that's so remarkable. Thank you. Now you funded Memento through a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter, which I think, which I think makes a huge difference in the quality that we see and that everybody saw in this film. Yes. And Memento soon found its way into the top 20 and later the top five of the film prize this year. What are your main memories of having it be part of the film prize, of seeing it in person with a live audience and of learning that it would be among the, the best five films of this year's event. Wow. I mean, first of all, just so much gratitude. I feel like we just walked around in a state of gratitude for just being part of Film Prize. Um, first of all, for I'm deadline driven. I was a journalist kind of by trade and so deadline driven. So having Louisiana Film Prize, something that's so huge and amazing, but it's also in Louisiana makes it feel accessible to give us a deadline and like a, something to aim for to finish the film. And so many of the judges and people, you know, at Film Prize were just saying, you really did a lot of the work by just finishing a film, just finishing something. So we really tried to soak that one in. Then getting into the top 20. I mean, the announcement, I have to say, was one of our biggest memories was that top 20 announcement. We were 20th in the announcement, which was painful because there were so many amazing films. Um, we were we were pretty determined that, you know, by that point, like, well, we didn't, this just wasn't our year, but we're still gonna put it in other festivals. So getting in that top 20 um, was just a huge, um, huge accomplishment. Um, and then getting to see it with the live audience. That was the biggest thing for me about the top 20 was sitting at the Robinson Film Center 
on Texas, like just able to watch it with a live audience and hear people laugh at these moments and hear people talk about it afterwards. Um, it's just, I still don't think I've processed that. I still think, you know, it's just, that was an amazing experience. Then to be named after seeing all the other films the, and meeting and really talking to the amazing filmmakers and the stories, all the different stories that were represented to make it into the top five is just, um, a dream come true. I mean, it's just amazing. And we're just so grateful for everyone who supported it, who supported, you know, the Kickstarter campaign and thought, Hey, you guys really can do this. I think I, we believe in you. We really, you know, we're going to give you a, a money. It takes a lot to click on that and say $10, $100, $250, like just so much amazing support. Um, and then to have the support for the film itself and people come watch it and for the judges and the audiences to respond to it. So um, it just means, means everything. Um, but the biggest memory I have to say in there was sitting in the audience, just hearing people laugh. That was a really big deal. <laughs> oh, besides today's always busy moms, such as yourself and fans of comedy tinged with a, a bit of mystery <laughs> and suspense, which audiences do you hope Memento will appeal to? Um, that's a great question, you know, because it is Momento and we put that in there and it's about moms, but I really feel strongly, uh, Elizabeth and I felt strongly going into it. And we were really validated by a lot of the audience members who came up to us afterwards and said, you know, I'm a 67 year old man, but like, I really related to this. So I feel like at the heart of it, it's about having too much on your plate. And these days with, uh, you know, we all live so fast, you know, we have this constant social media, constant information, constant scheduling and all of this. I think we all know what it is to have too much on our plate and to feel like we're not good enough. You know, we have that joke in there with the um, momitation, which um, a dear friend Clarissa in the UK did, and she's just wonderful with it. But where they say, you know, you, you are enough, not great, but certainly enough. And I think we all <laughs> in that space these days, you know, where we feel like we're dropping balls, but we're also picking some up, you know, for each other. So I, I really hope that people get that universal appeal and that idea of even if it's not that you're a mom, you have a pet, you have any responsibility whatsoever. A job, anything. We all know what it feels like to have too much. And Mamitation is that calm voice like app that we hear in the film, which is trying to <laughs> add some kind of balance to the whole proceedings. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now, now that Memento has triumphed at the Louisiana Film Prize and has secured a distribution deal with Shorts HD alongside the other top five films. Are there any plans for it to be seen at other film festivals? And when can we eventually anticipate its wider release? Yes, those are great questions. The questions that I want to answer, I want to <laughs> answer as well. So we're still just sort of coming down on film prize and this idea. And we're so excited about Shorts HD and the deal and finding out more information about that. So we definitely have plans to uh, to run it through a festival circuit. Um, we don't currently have any specifics on when it, uh, when and where it might be seen, but we will definitely, we have um, Memento, the short film on Facebook and then a Memento Instagram. So we will definitely keep our social media um, updated with all of that. And then for sure, I would think within like the next year, at some point we should be able to, you know, release it in a bigger way, hopefully. What are you and Finnegan working on now, by the way? 
So Finnegan is working on his next um, Film Prize Junior. He's entering Film Prize Junior. He's already registered for this next year. And he's working on another stop motion animation. Yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> right? He's like, yep. Um, so it is about, do you want to tell him what, a little bit about what it's about? Just like your um, log line there. You've got it. Uh, sure. Basically, um, it's about the space race with the uh, Americans and the Russians. Yeah. And um, the Americans made a pen, like a special pen that could write in space, but cost millions of dollars. Oh, yeah, cost, right? cost yeah. millions of dollars. But the Russians, they just decided to bring pencils. So <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if they forgot the pencil sharpener? Yeah, so that's sort of the big question with that. What if they forgot the pencil sharpener? And that uh, that sort of informs that. So he's he's busy working on that. Um, he's in the process of writing the script right now and working with his um, mentor, um, Courtney Young, his teacher at Southfield that is um, helping him like develop that and work him through that process. Um, as for myself, very ambitiously, but working on a script, on a feature script, and hoping to just jump back into filmmaking. So, yeah. Well, please keep me posted on all of that. I would love to have you guys come back on and talk about all those projects. Uh, yeah. Finnegan, what's, what's the name of your, of your film that you're working on? Well, I haven't exactly come to a name yet. Um, I was thinking something like The Great Space Race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Great Space Race, yeah, that's a good working title. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 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 The title is in the works. <laughs> but on your last film, I was so impressed by the production design with the Lego sets. I mean, even the the office with the copy machines and the and the signs and everything like that that you put up in the office and the and the uh, vending machines, that was very cool. Thank you. <laughs> he did, he definitely had the details down, like attention to detail. And he, I will say, probably has the biggest Lego collection I've ever seen. And he's been a Lego kid, like from, I've stepped on many of them, so I know. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's funny, cause I'll pull out some random piece and he'll say, oh, that was the, you know, um, Lone Ranger set from 19, whatever. <laughs> He's just like a, <laughs> like a Lego savant. So he loves uh, Legos. <laughs> yeah, like I said, just watching that that film just brought back so many, so many memories of when I used to play Legos. I love playing with Legos. Yeah. Yeah, and it was great too, you know, in the Lego movie, the kid's name was Finn, and we laughed about that for so long because the kid <laughs> Finn who wanted to play outside the box. He used to, like so many kids would build the sets. And I remember um, I had the old big bag of Legos that I opened up one day and I was like, oh, these were all my old Legos. And he's like, what are they supposed to build? I'm like, anything you want. And I feel like from that moment on, like he just kind of went, what? And just never <laughs> I used to build TV studios, like news, news sets and sports sets, you know, like I, I, I built sets like for the Olympics of, on TV and uh, with Legos. I was just so impressed by everything. And that's all, seeing that film, like I said, Finnegan just brought so many, just brought back so many memories of when I used to play and it was a lot of fun and you did a tremendous job with it. Thank Congratulations. <laughs> and finally, Melissa, what do you hope people take away from watching Memento? Um. You know, I really, I really hope that they take away the, the idea or the thought that we're all in this together, you know, whether 
your, um, the room mom who like the room mom who comes in and she's a little bit of a perfectionist, you know, but we imagine that she sort of leaves and crumbles, you know, she just crumbles on her own in her closet at late at night, you know, like we all have. Um, but yeah, I really hope that they, they feel like to take the deep breaths, you know, just keep taking deep breaths and just keep going. Cause we're all in this together and we're all just doing the best we can. As a mom and a filmmaker, what have you taken away from the experience of making Memento? Wow. Um, you know, Elizabeth and I joke constantly that the hardest part of being a mom and a filmmaker is about making a movie about being a mom is being a mom while you're trying to make a movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really think that the takeaway has been that stories matter. You know, stories really do matter. Um, we've had such a great response from people that say, you know, whether it's the 67 year old man, the kid that says, you know, oh, I kind of understand my mom a little better and what she's going on, what she has going on, a mom, a husband, a, you know, anybody I think can come to this and see themselves in some aspect of it. Um, and so, you know, for so long, I think we even sidelined our stories and said, oh, it's not important. I'm just a mom. So being able to really own those stories and make the films and say, you know what, there is an audience for this. This is important. Um, and as a creative person and as a parent as well, like looking at my kids and that was what happened with Finnegan is saying, you should really do this. Your creativity is important. And realizing that they're looking at us and saying, but is it because you're not living in that space? So really having to kind of own that and say, yeah, I want a more creative life. Like I want to be putting things out there. I want to, I want to do this, you know, and it's not too late. It's not too late. To, um, it's never too late to change focus and to lean in on that creativity. I think that's something that COVID and the pandemic really showed us. Um, you know, it was really like musicians and artists and things that I feel like got us through the, for me, for sure. And so many people being able to log in and hear people singing, hear people telling stories that get us through all those things. So they really are important. And um, as a writer, as a Filmmaker, I guess I can say that now, a filmmaker. Yeah. It's not just not just trading videos and things nobody wants to watch, but actually <laughs> a short film. Yeah. So yeah, that still feels weird. But I, as that, I think, and and talking to the other filmmakers and the other storytellers at Film Prize, which is such an amazing, amazing space and venue. Um, really, it's just that there's so many stories to tell. Everyone has one. We have multiple stories to tell, and they're important. And there's a place for for all of us at the table. Yeah. You and Finnegan both have great stories inside of you just waiting to be told. And uh, congratulations to both of you on Memento. And Finnegan, again, congratulations on your film, Night of the Living Chest Hair. It's Thank so you. great. It's so impressive. And I really wish you both the very best. Congratulations and best of luck to you all with your future projects. And thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about them. Yeah, and thank you so much for having us. We always joke about that. I just try to at least tell Finn I'm trying to be nice enough of, as a mom to him so that someday he'll hire me. <laughs> well, that would be great. That would be great. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much, much, guys. Okay. When a young mother tries to raise a child without any experience in parenthood, her mom and dad inevitably inundate her with their ideas on how to bring up that child. Without fail... The generational clash between old and new parents puts as much of a strain on the family as it does on the one who's just learning about the responsibilities of motherhood. Our next guest, actor and writer J.M. McSharma, knows that conflict all too well, considering that her tradition-minded parents 
have long stuck to their preferred means of child-rearing. It worked when they brought Jaya into the world, they reasoned, so why shouldn't it work for their daughter's newborn son? Of course, not every generation is wedded to tradition when it comes to the job of motherhood, and American-born Jaya struggles to convince her Indian-born parents to give her the space she needed to raise her son Ari in her own way, were what inspired her to write and star in the poignant drama Nanakidum, which means, in Indian, his grandfather is his favorite. In this case, the grandfather is Jaya's father, who appears in the film along with her mother in voice only, as does Ari in his screen debut. Jaya's spouse and veteran film prize actor and filmmaker Jacob McSharma directed Nanakidum, which was shot inside Jaya's own family home. Jaya joins us now to talk about how the movie explores one woman's fraught transition from beloved daughter to devoted new mom. In addition to the distribution deal that Nana Kidum has with cable network Shorts HD as a result of it being part of the top five at this year's film prize, are there any other festival screenings being planned for the film? And if so, where can we see it next? So, uh, yeah, we get automatic distribution to Shorts HD, as you mentioned, and a couple of film festivals in partnership with the Louisiana Film Prize. Um, but we are actually being a little bit more strategic with our other entries. We'd like to kind of go for some of the bigger festivals that we've been hesitant to apply to in the past, like Tribeca, Sundance, Slamdance, uh, South by Southwest. And um, those festivals tend to like to have premieres at their festivals as well. So we're waiting to hear back from those festivals before we uh, decide where else to apply. I wish you all the best with getting Nanakidum in any of those festivals. It would be great for your film and great for you and Jacob and everything that you do. Thank you. Yes, we hope so. Fingers crossed. Nanakidum is based on your own experiences with raising a child in a family where customs and traditions are prominent which inevitably results in intergenerational conflicts between parents and grandparents over how best to bring up a child. How did you adapt your memories of those conflicts into the plot and characters for this film, such as the one you play in it, while doing so in a fashion that's true to the narrative needs of the project? Yeah, so a uh, great question. Thank you. Um, actually, awesome. the, main, the main scene, which I consider to be like the uh, comedic part, um, there is a scene where I'm trying to put my son to sleep and my dad is crawling on the floor saying, hey, he can't see me, but I, I'm here to help. And then my mom tries to get involved. Um, there's a scene like that in the movie that's pretty much directly adapted from something that happened when I was visiting my parents. Uh, and as any good creator or filmmaker will do in a moment of pure stress, think to herself, hey, this would make great fodder for a short film or a movie. Um, and so I actually derived that scene directly from my own life and then kind of built the rest of the conversation in the short film around that scene to kind of stray to true to the fact, as you mentioned, that it's so hard becoming a parent, period, but it's so hard becoming a parent and then redefining your own relationship with your parents because everyone has their own ideas about how to raise your child. Yeah. And so uh, a lot of those conflicts will really come to a head whenever you're, you've got a newborn. Your newborn baby, his name's Ari, also named Ari in the film. Yes, that's true. And did any of your memories of them parenting you get into the film itself? I mean, did that, were you able to channel those in any way in the film's plot? 
Yeah, um, you know, there's a couple scenes where the main character has flashbacks to how she was uh, when she was younger and kind of moments of conflict that she had with her father growing up. Um, both of those were pretty also true to autobiographical elements. I mean, my parents uh, had an idea for me to have an arranged marriage when I was in my 20s. And, um, you know, they kind of fulfilled the stereotypical Indian ideals of education being first, being top of the class, those things being really important. So in the flashback scenes, I definitely drew from personal experience for the times that my dad and I would have most butted heads. And so those showed up in the film as well. How did you prepare for playing this role, given that you and many other parents continue to deal with the same conflicts that we've talked about in real life? And what are some of the biggest differences between your character in the film and who you are in real life? Oh, well, honestly, I tried to take down as many differences between myself and the characters so that um, if you've seen the film, which I know you have, uh, it's a very intimate um, characterization or, or cinematography, I should say, um, because it's just me and the camera in a room and no cutaways except for the flashbacks. And you're really getting it from my perspective. And so I really wanted it to be as transparently autobiographical as I could in those scenes and those moments so that, you know, of course there was acting involved, but I was drawing on very real experiences and hoping for that to come through. Um, the main difficulty in preparation was my, my parents not really being part of the film community or having any acting experience. So, and, and wanting my dad's voice to be the actual voice of the father in the film. So we had to sit down and translate the script that I wrote in English uh, into Hindi so that he could understand what he was supposed to say in Hindi correctly. And then we had to work on cadence and, you know, try to make it natural sounding and do ADR and, um, so there was a lot of that coaching through that process, but I got to say after two or three takes, he pretty much nailed it. And, and it felt very natural after that, after some time. What were some of the other main inspirations behind the creation of Nana Kidum? Um, You know, we, this is our third short film. And with our first short film, um, hashtag Brown Bridget MD, we told a, a cute and also relevant story, um, but it was more of a sitcom feel. And the second film, Best in Show, we like ramped up production. We had, you know, a cast and crew of like 75. We built a runway for the set. It was like the set production design of a feature within a short film. And I love both of those movies for different reasons. But what I really wanted to do with our third film was take the advice of some of the judges that we had worked with at Film Prize, like Colette Friedman. And she said, you know, what would be really beautiful is if you could build a story around a singular moment, as opposed to trying to tell a story from beginning to end. And that was really the inspiration for Nana Kidum because it, I wanted it to be built around the moment where a woman has to confront her father as a new mother herself and what that conversation would look like. Um, and then build the rest of the world around that conversation, as opposed to, you know, telling someone's whole life story in 15 minutes or less. Before we go any further, just so our listeners are confused, Best in Show that you did, I mean, obviously that's the name of a popular Christopher Guest. Yeah. On <laughs> yeah. Shows, but tell me yeah. more about that film and what that's all about. Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, Best in Show was our second uh, short film. It competed in the 2019 Louisiana Film Prize. Uh, and it's about a pregnant model who is no longer allowed to compete in the fashion show because her changing body does not meet the standards of fashion as set 
forth by our antagonist, uh, Vera. Um, and it's basically about her learning to accept her body in the context of what fashion says is attractive or not attractive. And, you know, it ends with a big finale where uh, I don't want to give away too much because I do want people to go to jmcsharma.com and watch the movie. But um, it ends in a big finale where the protagonist ends up putting on her own fashion show and they try to redefine what the standards of beauty, of beauty are in their own community. Of course, Jacob acted in the first two films that you and he did. Now he directed Nanakidum, and it's also the third time that your partnership has resulted in a film being involved in the top 20 for the Louisiana Film Prize. Yeah. What was it like working with Jacob on this project and how has your partnership with him evolved over the course of the past three films you've done together? Well, you know, our first film together, we both didn't really know what we were doing. We were just kind of taking our best guess. Um, with the second one, it was still a much more collaborative effort in terms of I was in, involved in pre-production and post-production, you know, to music choices, to editing, all of that. Um, for this film, which was much more artistic than our last two films in terms of maybe um, bolder choices with camera angles and cuts and edits and things like that. Uh, he asked me to trust him, which is difficult because I wrote the movies. So it's my baby, but I have to put it in his hands uh, to mold in a way that he saw fit. And re I really had to concentrate on acting in this film. So I, he really did need to be the director on set. And then in post-production, he did the composing, the editing and all the post-production sound design. So he really took a lot more ownership of the post-production and on set this time. Uh, and I had to trust him. Our movie has a very different feel and I really wasn't sure how people were gonna respond to it. Uh, but our feedback at Film Prize, which was its premiere um, earlier this month was positive. So uh, I hate to say it, but Jacob's instincts were right and <laughs> trusting him was the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely was. And uh, by all accounts, the way that the film turned out was just so impressive and you all did a tremendous job with it. Congratulations. Thank you so Anna. much. Thank you. Now, you know, you mentioned earlier how in working with your parents, specifically your dad, your, he had a lot of trouble trying to understand the script and work with that. Besides that, what were some of your other memories of working with your own real life parents on the shoot? You know, um, so I, I don't know, your audience probably doesn't know this about me. So I'm a doctor, but I've always wanted to be an actress and filmmaker. That's my first uh, love, my first, my passions. And so my parents really haven't been supportive of a career in film uh, because they want me to be a doctor. So what was so interesting about this film is that, you know, the first two films, I didn't involve them at all. It was more like, hey, I made this movie. If you want to come look at it, cool. If not, you know, whatever, just don't stop me, okay? <laughs> But this time I made a movie about my parents. So I had to directly involve them in it. And uh, that was awkward because they have to be involved in something they haven't initially supported. But secondly, because when I sat down and we went through the script together, they realized I'm telling our story. Like I'm telling our story. I'm telling their story. I'm telling our family's memories to an audience that doesn't know us. So I'm really proud of my parents because usually their first go-to is just to kind of say no, especially my dad and like put the kibosh and everything, no way in hell I'm doing this kind of thing. 
Um, but I think the involvement of my husband, Jacob, as director and um, him wanting to support Jacob, yeah. as well as maybe just him evolving as a human being, he was open to being vulnerable and having our stories told on camera. And I think half of the success that this film goes on to get in whatever form that is, is going to be attributed to the fact that my dad was game to do this. So I really have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. And as an actress, of course, you definitely felt vulnerable reliving the moment where you had to stand up to your parents and say to them that you are going to raise your child on your own. That Absolutely. had to make you feel very emotional when you were reliving that moment in this film. Definitely. And having my dad on the other side of the camera and just, you know, as an actress, one of our tricks is to look into the eyes of someone, even if they're off screen, because that connection always shows up on screen. But it, it did make it that much more intimidating slash cathartic for me to actually be looking into the eyes of my father that this story is about and to be saying these things to him. It's almost like getting to speak to him in another way than our everyday lives and have him hear me and, and me hear him uh, in a new way because you have to really pay attention to someone when you're acting with them. What was the production process like for Nana Kidum and how did you and everyone involved with it work to make the shoot a safe one given the continued presence of COVID? Yeah, so I'm a big uh, advocate for COVID protocols, COVID safety, vaccines, everything. Uh, and my parents are in the high risk category. So what that did for us was we went from a casting crew of 75 to a casting crew of six with this film. And it was just me, my husband, my parents, and um, our very dear friends, Josh and Melissa Munz, who also had a film in the top 20 this year. Um, so they were the camera people. They were the boom operator. They were the sound design on set. Um, they did everything between just three people on set. And uh, since we know that they're fully vaccinated and they follow COVID protocols, my parents then felt very safe inviting them into their home. Otherwise, you know, they haven't seen anyone except for uh, me and, and uh, their grandchild since the pandemic started really. So um, we had to keep it to a tight knit group of people that we trusted. And that allowed even for a more intimate um, recording experience, which I also think comes through in the movie. Will it all work out great, especially as we see it on screen? Thank you so much. Um, and by the way, for our listeners who may not be aware, what film does Josh and Melissa have in the top 20? Yes, Josh and Melissa got into the top 20 with Stakeout, which is like a, um, a bro comedy, for lack of a better <laughs> description, with two guys who uh, open their own private eye <laughs> detective agency and this is their first stakeout yeah. it's definitely a comedy a lot of the um sentences or the script that you hear on screen was actually ad lib uh it was josh and my husband jacob played the two main characters and they actually got a founder circle award which i think is going to be one of the first times ever that a comedy got the founder circle award okay. at losing a film prize so i love that because i love comedy that's what we usually do yeah. Uh, but yeah, Stakeout. And then Josh and Melissa also made a movie called Bad Tenants, uh, which stars me and Melissa. And although it did not get into the film prize, she will be submitting that to other film festivals. Well, Stakeout was a very funny film. And uh, <laughs> I wish all of you the very best with your projects going forward. Yes. And speaking of the Founders Circle Grant, which provides $3,000 in funding to five filmmakers 
for projects that they can make for next year's Louisiana Film Prize. How will that funding help to make your next film possible and to further improve the quality of your work? Well, $3,000 is a lot of money for a short film. So what I'd really like to invest in is post-production, um, cinematography, sound design. These are the things that an audience member should never notice because they should be so good that they're unnoticeable. Um, also, hopefully COVID is under better control when we start to shoot our film for the next um, year's competition. So it will also help with paying um, you know, a good cinematographer, a good sound person, basically going to crew and post-production, $3,000 is going to make such a difference. I mean, essentially, we, essentially we shot Nana Kadim for $0 because we did all the work ourselves and between our friends, we got it all done, but, um, it will definitely help to have some funding to, um, be able to hire people so that we can run a more cohesive, um, well-oiled machine on set quality makes all the difference in filmmaking and that amount of money three thousand dollars will definitely go a long way towards making everything look and sound great yes definitely and nana kidum was one of the five founder circle winners along with snake out yes that's right yeah both of us so we were very excited <laughs> we were very excited because it's the four of us that make all our movies together uh so they actually announced stakeout first and so our table is already elated and I just remember Melissa looking over and saying, we never win anything. <laughs> so she was just so genuinely excited and I'm so excited for them. And just to have that affirmation because the founder circle is from the judges. So for the judges to look at 20 films and say, hey, you five filmmakers, we really see something special in you. Um, you know, what an affirmation in an industry where you do not get affirmation. So we've really taken it to heart. And Jacob and Josh did a great job on camera and stick out too they did they uh that's pretty much how they act in real life they just kind of <laughs> ramped it up a little bit for the camera but not much difference <laughs> besides parents parents to be and their families what other audiences are you hoping to reach out to with not you know i'm always looking to reach out to women i always want to i'm very passionate about telling uh female driven female-led stories um, but this one, I feel like anybody who's ever had any kind of conflict in their identity could relate to it. I mean, even if you don't have children of your own, growing up and finding out who you are versus who you've been told to be by an authority figure or a parent is a very relatable um, growing pain that I think that we have all experienced to some point. So I really just hope that it kind of reaches a wider audience in terms of that messaging. Uh, but anybody who's a parent, a grandparent, or just an adult who has been afraid to establish, look, this is what I think. This is how I think that, you know, the world should go for me. These are my rules. And when they're in conflict with the rules you've been raised with, I want it to appeal to that person just to know that you can trust your own voice and you can be your own person. And that doesn't mean that you have to let go of all the good that came before you. And what do you hope audiences take away from watching Nana Kidum? I really hope audiences take away that even the most immovable forces uh, can change. You know, um, I never thought that I would have, oh, that's Ari. I don't know if you can uh, hear. I know, I know. You're okay. You're okay. Um, I just hope audiences take away that nothing is permanent. And that includes relationships. You may think that 
you have a certain type of relationship with your mother or father or relative, but then life circumstances change and that can change relationships. And uh, that gives me a lot of hope because sometimes you may write a relationship or a person off. And I just want people to understand it can always change for the better as long as we're alive. Yes. (laughs) Even though Ari says no, (laughs) Ari says no, but that's a yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's adorable. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Great job. (laughs) Finally, what projects are you and Jacob working on now? So our next project um, is going to be a feature. We've actually uh, kind of formed a cohort with uh, Rich Hansel, who studied. Very good. Uh, We formed a cohort with Richard Hansel from, he directed Last Day, Josh and Melissa, a couple other local, uh, Blaine Weaver, who directed and wrote Hit Movie. Um, So we've got a group of cinematographers, directors, writers, and filmmakers forming um, a company called 318 Films. And we're all writing a feature. And our, our goal is to shoot five features back to back next year and then get them ready for distribution. So that is really exciting. So I'm working on the feature version of some of the story that's been told in Nana Kidum. And then of course, we're, I'm also writing my short film for next year to compete in the 2022 film prize, which will be year 11. And that's our lucky number. So I think we're going to win it. (laughs) That's the plan. You guys are the best with everything. And, uh, I mean, every filmmaker you mentioned, they're great. They are great filmmakers. And I yes, delighted that you guys are still keeping on and just doing great work and continue to do great work. Absolutely. And I, I would love for people to follow along with our journey. We're revamping our website. So if they want to check out jmcsharma.com, I'd love to connect with anyone listening. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. You're very um, welcome, J.O. One of the great things about Film Prize has been the introduction to other amazing filmmakers. And I just feel like we're growing an amazing community out of it. So I'm just so blessed and grateful to be a part of it. Uh, it definitely is a great community and uh, it's growing every single day. And so honored to have you on my podcast. It's an equal honor to have you as part of that film community in Louisiana. Congratulations to all of you. Thank you so much. And thank you from Ari, too. He's sitting on my lap being a goober right now. <laughs> You're very welcome, Ari. You're so adorable. All right. J.M. McSharma, the writer and star of Nanakidum. Thank you so much for coming on the Viewfinder podcast today to talk about your film. And I wish you and Jacob and Ari and everybody all the best with your future work going forward. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Thanks again to this week's guest, Shreveport's son's Mark Bonner, Nana Kidum's J.M. McSharma, and Mom Mento's Melissa Goslin and Finnegan Collins for joining me on this special edition of the podcast. Join us again next week for part two of this recap of the 2021 Film Prize. Until next time, I'm Chris Hadley. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe, everyone.